0: Alright everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. Today, we're going to be joined by Rod Woten, and Rod is going to walk us through all things ice fishing. We're going to be talking about ice safety, we're going to be talking about tackle, and other types of ice fishing equipment, uh, some strategy, some tactics, we're going to be talking about what the fish are doing while they're underneath the ice what kind of food they like to eat, and so that kind of ties back into the tackle that we're going to be using to, to catch them, and uh, it's a really interesting podcast, so if you're interested in learning more about ice fishing, this is the podcast for you, and uh, before we get started into this podcast, just a friendly reminder that all of you need to go check out the Iowa Sportsman website, and that's Sportsman. Dot com, And there you're going to find more great content, articles about what's going on in Iowa from a conservation standpoint to more strategy articles on fishing and hunting of all the species that we can hunt in Iowa. And lastly, the Iowa Sportsman website is a great place to subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman magazine. Again, great content delivered great right to your door. So uh, be sure to go visit the website and subscribe to the magazine. Without further ado, let's get into today's Ice Fishing Podcast. All right, joining me now, Mr. Rob Wooten. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Good, good. All right, so today we're going to be talking about ice fishing. But before we, you know, hop into that topic, because uh, it's that time of year, how was your summer and spring? So, Ike, how was... 2018 as a whole so far behind the the rod and reel
1: uh it was pretty good for us um we concentrate mostly in northeast iowa fly fishing for trout and uh it was one of the better years we've had so far especially the fall was really really good for us um we've had you know a lot of rain this year and so it kept stream levels up um higher than what it would usually be especially in the fall so there was a lot of water and that uh, equates to a lot of fish in the fall that's awesome, uh, and I yeah. know
0: I know that um, Northeast Iowa has you know a handful of trout sc- streams. But it, are the trout stocked
1: in those streams, or are they wild? You got a little bit of each. Um, so if it's rainbow trout, it's a pretty safe bet it's stocked because they don't actually reproduce in Iowa's waters. Um, brown trout are not native to the state; um, they were originally stocked, but a majority of the streams up there now have a naturally sustaining reproducing brown trout populations that's awesome because i can yeah and go ahead go ahead Uh, so the brook trout um there actually is a strain of brook trout that's made it to the state uh i think most of the brook trout now are stocked st croix strain but they do also reproduce in the streams gotcha
0: now with iowa not being like you know i don't i don't Feel like it would be a high population. I mean, are there daily limits, weekly limits? Like, how do you go about judging what you can keep and what you have got to throw back, and how many you can keep?
1: Yep. Yeah, so it's um, pretty pretty cut and dried. It's, you can catch and keep five, and that's between any of the three species. So any combination, and I, I believe possession limit is ten. So two days' limits worth would be your possession limit. Um. And mean, you do have to have a trout stamp before you can keep that limit. So. Right, right. So, are we talking about the the Yellow
0: River Forest area? Um, are are some of the streams on public ground, or do, do they go through private land? How's that work?
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of both. I'm um, actually big and Little Paint Creek that run right through Yellow River State Forest are two of my favorite places to fish. Um, those are both public, um, but Iowa also has streams that are stocked that are on private land. Um, You do have to get permission from the land over. Those are called the put-and-grow streams. So they're only stocked once a year usually with fingerling fish. So if you you catch a fish out of there, that's probably as close to a wild trophy as you will catch in Iowa. Um, And those fish, they don't get a lot of pressure, so they get big. Um, But even then, there is private land that uh, the DNR has arranged for access for the public. So you can only get on that land to fish. You can't go collect mushrooms or pick up sheds or anything like that but you can, you can fish that too. And they're easy to tell because they're usually marked and there's a wooden set of stairs called a style that goes over the fence and gives you access to the stream. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: And i tell you what, that's something that I definitely want to Mm -hmm. try more of because I have a, a fly rod that I never use. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually got it as a gift. Uh, my mom was actually got it at a garage sale. She was going to throw it out. And so she gave it to me. um, And I had a guy just from listening to the other podcast that I do. He made me some flies. Now, I don't know exactly what they're what they're for, but I I find fly fishing so intriguing. But, you know, I'm a I'm a hardcore whitetail bow hunter. So and I've I've had people tell me, don't do it, because once you start fly fishing and become (laughs) good at it, you will fall in love with it and you won't want to do anything else.
1: Well, the the one saving grace for you is that some of the best times for fly fishing would be when you can't be deer hunting. So like, uh, late May through June into July, that's when all these mayfly hatches are going. Um, that's just when all this dry fly action is taking place. And I tell you what, to catch a trout on a dry fly is super addictive. So, <clears throat> you know, you could do your dry fly fishing in the summer and still have time to deer hunt in the fall and winter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, my, uh, my in-laws have
0: a cabin in Harper's Ferry, so I don't know. Mm. I, I know that harp. I know that uh, the Yellow River Forest is close to Harper's Ferry, so I might just have to invite myself along on one of these fly fishing expeditions that you do.
1: Oh, we'd love to have you. That'd be great. Awesome. I love taking people out.
0: Now, the. Uh, the water is a lot colder now And we got some ice that's popping up on some of these northern counties And heck, even uh, down on the southern part of the state where I'm from We've had a real good cold spell throughout November and even into early December And now it's time to start start ice fishing And uh, that's going to be the meat and potatoes of today's podcast So, if for someone who's listening right now and has never gone ice fishing what are some of the big things, like the the high-level things that we need to really focus about before we just jump into ice fishing?
1: Well, so the first rule of thumb is, you know, you, you hear people asking, is the ice safe? And my answer is always no, because there's no such thing as safe ice. Even when we're in the dead of winter and the ice has been growing for, you know, a month and a half and a lot of the lakes have 12 inches on them, you can still have conditions where maybe there's a spring that keeps uh, the ice a little thinner or maybe waterfowl have been keeping the water open and that section froze much later than the rest of the ice. So it could be thinner. Um, There's a lot of different things that can, you know, and and ice water never freezes uniformly either. So, you know, never assume that the ice is safe because there really is no such thing. Now there is ice that I like to call it walkable instead. And usually about the time you get to about four inches of, of ice, that's, about when you can start getting out there on foot um you know i know some guys that push it they'd like to get out there in two and a half and three inches of ice and it's just not worth it to me um, i'll wait and you know usually it's only another week or so before you get that just a little extra bit of thickness that makes it that much safer
0: right, right. <coughs> so how do you how do you determine i mean is there a person who goes out drills some holes and measures the ice or where does a, a person need to go to find out actually how thick the ice is before they they go out and i guess test it themselves
1: yeah um you know there's no really good the dnr does its best to keep uh conditions updated if you read the the weekly fishing report usually they'll kind of tell you uh which lakes are probably fishable and which ones aren't um but they also tend to err on the side of caution just because of the liability you know so um a lot of times just checking it yourself is usually the best way to go because it's a little bit subjective. What one guy thinks safe might be not comfortable for, for another guy. So, um, I, you know, my spud bar is my gauge and you know, the spud bar is what I check the ice with as I walk out. And I don't like to take other people's words because when I go through, they're not going to be there to pull me out. So I like to check it myself, see it for myself and make sure it's a thickness that I'm comfortable with. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, worst case
0: scenario, right? We, we we go out ice fishing, the ice cracks, we fall into it. I mean, is there any type of safety precautions that we need to prepare for or pieces of equipment or gear that we need to have with us uh, at all times, uh, if not just for a safety measure?
1: Absolutely. One of the best pieces of gear to bring along is a buddy. Because, uh, you know, not necessarily so much so that he can rescue himself because he really shouldn't put himself in harm's way because he could have those like you. But at least you got somebody that can go for help if you do go through or can, you know, toss something to you. Um, Especially early ice, we always take a throwable uh, PFD. So we grab the cushion out of the boat and uh, just throw that in our our shack. And as we drag our shack out, if we need it, we got something we can throw to somebody. You know, take some rope. Sometimes a rope is all it takes to to pull a person out if you can throw it to them. Um, You know, once you go through, you get water on the ice, the ice gets slippery, and it's difficult to pull yourself out. So just having a rope where you can, uh, you know, give you a little cyst to get out of the ice can make all the difference in the world. Um, you know, if it's, if it's especially sketchy, where a P wear a PFD, you know, um, most of the people that go through the ice don't die because of hypothermia. You know, they don't freeze to death. They drown. So if you can keep yourself from drowning, that gives you time for rescuers to get to you. It gives you time for self rescue. And, uh, you know, once you get out, then you can worry about trying to get warm. Um, but just being able to stay afloat is, means so much. Right. Right. Okay. So, you know, that's,
0: uh, safety is the most important things, uh, from a safety standpoint. Is there anything else that you can think of, um, that, uh, maybe a beginner or e- beginner needs to know, or a seasoned ice fisherman needs reminded of?
1: But just check the ice as you go. Cause as I mentioned before, ice never freezes uniformly just because you're on four good safe inches. Uh, in one spot, doesn't mean six feet away, you might not be on an inch and a half. So check as you go, you know, use that spud bar. If you don't have a spud bar, uh, drill an auger hole and measure, and, and just don't go out further than you, you find ice and it's safe to go out. Right. Okay. Now we get into, you know, like,
0: <clears throat> since I've started this podcast and since, uh, since I've met my father-in-law all these years ago, fishing is... There's way more gear than like your average whitetail hunting, which I I'm the I'm the guy who (laughs) loves to whitetail hunt and rods and reels and line and bait and lures and everything. And then now you have ice fishing, which there's just a secondary set of of gear uh, items that you need to go out and do it. Um, What are some of the basic items that we need if we want to go out and start ice fishing?
1: sure so probably the, the most important piece that you, if you're going to start out it's probably the per- first piece of equipment you want to buy is an is an auger it doesn't have to be fancy a nice hand auger uh will work just great for most people especially when they're first getting started but unless you have a whole way to make a hole in the ice you're not going to do a whole lot of fishing so i mean I, that's more important than any electronics it's more important than fancy graphite rods or the latest tungsten jigs gotta have a hold make a way to make a hole in the ice Um, once you have that, then you're able to get that fish. Probably the second most important thing is to have the right clothing and and dress properly. So you want to dress in layers. You want to wear clothing that's windproof and waterproof because they'll be slush on the ice as you drill holes. You'll be kneeling down in it, fishing at the hole. Um, the wind always blows when you're out on the ice. So having something that's windproof and waterproof is very important. And if you're not comfortable, you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to continue to do it. And your success rate is not going to be very good at all. All right.
0: All right. So this is where it gets to the point where like I, the only time I've ever been ice fishing has been with someone who is experienced and they know how to locate the fish. They know, you know, where to drill. They had all the gear for me, all that stuff. So now this time of year, right. Mm -hmm. this is this is first ice right this is what a lot of the guys are calling first ice what are the what are the fish doing right now right when this uh, water starts to freeze up it's solid we have enough we have the four inches to get on it what are the fish doing
1: so for the most part if you were able to be out in the boat late into the fall right before ice up those fish are still going to be in the same locations so if you can spend as much time in the boat before you absolutely have to put it away, you're going to have a leg up on most of the other guys that, that put their boats away, you know, weeks before freeze up. Uh, typically, fish follow a shallow, deep, shallow pattern. So they're going to start shallow when things first ice up. Um, as we get ice on the lakes and the weeds or the get snow accumulation, it cuts off the sunlight to the weeds. The weeds start to die. They consume oxygen and they give off carbon dioxide which pushes the fish out to deeper waters. So by midwinter, like your crappies and your bluegills, they're gonna be out on some of the deeper spots of the lake. The crappies will be suspended over the basin out in the middle somewhere. Um, So once you get past midwinter, things start to turn around, things warm up. You get uh, some melt that runs into the lake, brings in fresh nutrients, more oxygen. And that kind of wakes the fish back up. They start moving shallow again. Um, Crappies start staging for their spawning patterns. Um, The perch probably have already spawned right before the ice came off. So, uh, you know, just kind of think about where you're at in that whole uh, curve of the season and uh, where the fish will be in that shallow, deep, shallow pattern. Gotcha. Gotcha. So,
0: you know, is there any type of gear similar to, I guess, a depth finder on a boat that allows you to locate fish uh, when ice fishing? There you go. You there? Yep.
1: Okay. Uh, Ask me that again.
0: So are there any, uh, one second here, 14 minutes so I can edit, 14, 21, 14, 20. Okay. Um, So with that said, is there any piece of equipment, like like boats have depth finders and fish finders? Uh, Mm -hmm. Do they have an ice version, ice fishing version of that?
1: Yeah, you bet they do. Um, most uh, ice fishermen live and die by their flashers. Now, most guys that fish boat open water strictly, you know, a flashers kind of outdated technology for them, but uh, flashers are, are where it's at for ice fishing. Um, you know, in a boat, you're allowed to troll, you can cover open water. Ice fishing, you're pretty much fishing whatever is directly below the hole you just drilled, and that's where flashers really shine. Um, not only can you see the fish, but you can see what the bottom content is. You can tell if there's weeds down there. But you can also see your, your jig as it goes down. So you can see the jig go down. You can see the fish come up to meet it. And depending on how that fish responds, you can tailor your presentation um, based on what you're seeing on your flasher. Okay.
0: All right. So so we, we drill some holes. Um, are you the kind of guy who likes to drill several holes and uh, mm. with, you know, several rods out? Or do you, you know, you... You drill a hole, set up uh, all your equipment, fish it for a while. If nothing happens, you move on to the next one. Or how do you, what's your
1: strategy there? Sure. So I'll pick a piece of structure that I want to fish, and I'll drill probably a dozen holes at a time. And, um, you know, I'll kind of check them, see if they look fishy, if there's actual fish in there, uh, even better yet. And even though I drill a dozen holes, I may only find three or four that I think are worth fishing. So I'll drop down and I'll fish them two three four maybe five minutes and if i'm not getting anything going in that hole then i'll move on to the next one and that's really the beauty of the flasher because again you can see what's going on down there um you can tell if you're fishing water that has fish in it or water that doesn't have fish in it and if it doesn't have fish down there there's no sense in sticking around and spending a lot of time there you want to move to that hole that has the fish in it so the, the flasher really lets you do that and really speeds up the uh the fish finding process right Right, so you know
0: we we locate the fish now, okay, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about anything about presentation or what kind of you know live bait versus uh, jigs or whatnot. is there yep. is there a quote unquote standard uh, jig or lure for ice
1: fishing? Ice fishing jigs come in just about any shape you can imagine, but they are generally smaller than what you would use in the open water. And that's just because the fish are, the metabolism is slowed down. They're not uh, looking for a huge meal. They're just taking opportunities when they can find it. So you want to, you know, slow it down, try to match the fish's mood. So most jigs are pretty small, Um, you know, like a number 12 hook would be a pretty good sized jig as far as ice fishing is concerned. Um, Tungsten is all the rage right now. Tungsten fish is heavier than the same amount of lead. And that's important because it gets you down to fish quicker, and it also keeps the line tighter, so it's easier to detect strikes. So almost all the the uh, ice fishermen that are in the know these days are fishing tungsten jigs. Um, there's a lot. So uh, ice fishing has a legacy of live bait. A lot of guys live and die by their wax worms, and there's still a lot of guys that fish with them. A lot of fish get caught with them still. Um, uh zero larva is another popular bait especially a little further north it's not quite as available in iowa as it is in like minnesota wisconsin um but that's a, another good option it's basically just a, the maggot of a a, a bottle fly um, and that one works really well they're a little tougher than a waxworm they see how the hook a little better they come in uh, multiples of colors so you kind of experiment with color there a little bit but uh, a lot of, of a really progressive ice fishermen now are fishing with plastics and i can kind of remember when this uh ice fishing plastics revolution kind of started and guys were carving down their open water plastics to kind of you know pare them down for ice fishing to match the fish's metabolism. but now there's an amazing array of ice fishing specific plastics out there they come in every shape and color and, and size you can imagine a style you can imagine okay now
0: with all that said does it matter what you're dropping down that hole based off what fish you're trying to catch? Like, um, I don't, I don't know if largemouth bass are you know. Do people fish for large, ice fish for largemouth or, or smallmouth bass? Because when I think of ice fishing, I think of panfish and perch and maybe even some walleye. So you know, with yep. all that, with all that said, does does species of fish change up what you're going to be presenting
1: it it can Um, you know we do still catch those predator species through the ice largemouth bass they do get caught Um, I don't know that people specifically target them a lot but you can catch them Um, the the crazy thing is a lot of times you'll catch some of those predator fish on the same small jigs you're catching panfish on Uh, we were just fishing a lake uh, in northern Iowa on Sunday and we we're catching walleyes on little panfish jigs with with Euro larva on them. Um, that being said, you can target some of the uh the warmer water predators with uh a little more aggressive baits like uh, jig and rapulas, um, maybe some jigging spoons, and sometimes that'll work for them and sometimes it won't. But uh it is very possible to catch just about anything that swims on those small panfish jigs when we fish uh Okaboji. You know, there's a lot of panfish up there a lot of bluegills and that's usually what we're fishing for but invariably with those panfish there's going to be those uh, northern pike and muskies that are out there trying to prey on those those bluegills and we're always you know when we, we up there we sight fish so you can actually watch the fish in 20 feet of water it's like you're fishing in an aquarium so we can see those pike and those muskies when they slide in so we we try to lift the jig up but invariably we'll hook into a few of them every trip because we just can't get the jig away from them quick enough and it's just the same little jig we're catching those bluegills on. So when you
0: when you go out uh ice fishing, for for you personally, what
1: is your target? Are you a pan fisherman then? Yeah, or... I I'm mostly a pan fisherman. Um perch are are typically my favorite fish to, to fish for. We don't have a lot of great opportunities for perch in Iowa. So when I hear of a lake that's going really good for perch, it's uh you know, I try to hit that lake up as much as I can during the winter but there's a uh, you know bluegill and crappie right up there with the perch too for me gotcha and then and
0: then are, i take it you just keep your limit clean them up right there or are you i mean do you catch and release like someone catches a you know catches a bass or or catches them in the summertime and throws them back
1: yeah i I'm, I'm largely catch and release and a lot of it's just because i travel so much for ice fishing in the winter By the time I get home, it's late on a Sunday night, and I just don't even have time to clean fish. So, you know, a lot of times, unless we're on a trip or we're staying somewhere and there's a nice fishing cleaning facility, I might, you know, clean a dozen or so and bring them home for the freezer. But uh, more often than not, I'm a a big catch and release angler. And um, I'm a real big believer in releasing the bigger fish, because those are the genetics that you want to keep in the gene pool, you know. There's a reason those fish got to be the biggest ones. Um, Not only are they smarter, but they're physically superior. So if we can keep those genes in there and harvest some of the medium-sized fish, if you want to take some fish home for the table, they're going to taste better. um, And you're going to make sure that you're taking some of the more inferior genes out of the gene pool while you're leaving some of the more superior genes in there.
0: Gotcha. All right, so with... um with the, you know, we kind of covered the lures. I mean, do, do people fish, uh, any additional live bait other than wax worms like minnows or, uh, <laughs> Or does your strategy change? Like, because I've, I've seen people try to fish for walleye, like they're, they're throwing a, a bigger <laughs> jig with a, a, a plastic on the, on the back of it.
1: Yep. Yeah. Minnows are another popular choice, um, especially with the walleye fishermen. Um, Perch fishermen like them too sometimes, Uh, but again, the fish metabolism is is a little slower, so sometimes they don't want a whole minnow. So sometimes we'll actually pinch the head off of a minnow and tip a jig with that or tip a jigging spoon with that. So that's a very popular tactic um, when you're fishing with walleyes, for for walleyes with minnows. Um, Walleyes are also really good if you do what they call a dead stick, and a dead stick is just a rod that you rig and you just let it sit. So you want something lively down there. You want a minnow that's going to swim around. So that's just a split shot and a hook. And it's usually a rod that while you're out jigging with another rod, you can watch over, you know, look across your your setup, and you can see that that, uh, dead stick there. And dead sticks usually have a fairly sensitive tip um, so that if you've got a bigger fish on, you'll see that tip going, and you can run over and and catch that fish on the dead stick. So a lot of guys do like to fish that second rod as a dead stick. Um, I like to move around enough that I don't really have time to set a dead stick up and tend to it. Um, I just run with a one jigging rod and just keep moving as much as possible.
0: So is that, is a dead stick the one where once it's
1: triggered, uh, the flag pops up? So that's a tip up and it is a form of dead sticking. yeah. Okay. And, um, yep. That's, uh, it's got kind of a mouse trap set up on it where once the fish pulls on the line, um, the flag pops up and there's a lot of people that walleye fish with those. Um, there's a lot, I mean, most of the people that, that, uh, pike fish, that's what they're usually using as a tip up. So once you,
0: you know, now we have kind of, we've talked about the lures. Now let's talk about the, the line and the, um, the actual rod and reel, because obviously, uh, you're, you're fishing with a much shorter rod. Um, and the, is there a different type of reel that you need, or can you transfer, uh, off your open water summer setup to a shorter rod for ice fishing?
1: Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that do that. They transition their reels back and forth as the seasons change. Um, there are ice-specific reels out there, and probably the biggest difference is that the uh, the ice reels have a, a lube in them that's a little uh, better for cold weather, so it doesn't stiffen up like some of the lubes in in open water reels. Right. Right. Now, I remember back in the day when everybody just transferred their reels back and forth as the seasons changed and. You would uh, degrease your reel, take it apart, degrease it, and put uh, oil in it so it doesn't get stiff and freeze up on you in the cold. Um, but now you can buy reels that are that are already made that way, just specifically for ice fishing. So that's um, you can do that either way. Um, the rods are definitely shorter, and there's uh, rods are kind of a deal where you get what you pay for. Um, the nice thing about the, the high quality ice fishing rods is they're they're built to have the same parabolic curve as a full-length rod so they're basically a six-foot rod shrunk down to 24 inches or 32 or 20 or whatever you want to fish and the, the good ones are graphite because you want that sensitivity you want to be able to feel the bite and um just have it that response that when you get a fish you know it's got nice cushion it's going to cushion any runs the fish might make because typically we're fishing with lighter lines too gotcha all right so
0: now, the fish are under the ice, obviously. As this ice grows throughout the, you know, throughout the winter and less sunlight gets down in, th- you know, through the ice into the water, or maybe even it's dark after there's been a major snowstorm on top of the ice, right? So now we have a couple inches yep. of snow over top of the ice and there's hardly any light getting down to the, the fish does the lure setup and presentation change at that point?
1: Uh, it can. Uh, as that happens, the, the thing I always keep in mind is it's, the sun usually sets underneath the ice a half hour before it does above the ice and vice versa for the sun coming up. It's usually a half hour after the sun comes up above the ice. So it's always a little darker down there than it is up here. Yeah. But the fish do adjust and they can pick up um, the same color lures you use when the water's, or when the, when there's more light penetration, um, but then guys typically like to switch to the glow colors a lot, um, some of the brighter colors. I know when I fish clearer waters, I like to use golds and metallics a lot, but as the water, uh, either gets darker or gets more stained, that's when I'll switch to the, some of the glow colors, um, some of the, the, you know, the fire tigers, um, some of those brighter, uh, more eye-catching colors. So you kind of want to match to your situation. You want to make sure the fish is able to see um your lure obviously they're going to be able to still feel it with a lateral line and you know fish still eat even when the water's dingy but uh, if we can help them out to find your jig it might make the difference between you getting a bite and somebody you know across the way getting a bite instead
0: right okay so a lot of people want to be told what to do uh like they'll listen to this podcast and they'll say okay well You've told us a little bit of everything, but you didn't tell me what I need to do specifically. Those people are lazy, but <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, that, I'm that person sometimes too, right? So yep. what, what do I need to do, right? So you're walking into a store. You've never ice fished before. Why don't you tell us what I need to put in my cart? I go to Cabela's or I go to Bass Pro or I go to Shields. What products yep. do I need to push put in my cart? Or maybe even better yet, tell us what you're using, even give us some brands that we need to pick okay. up uh, for, you know, for, for us to start ice fishing.
1: Right on. So, again, a lot of it goes back to comfort for me. If you're not comfortable, you won't stay out there and fish. You're not going to be able to concentrate when you fish. So even if you do stay out and fish, you're just not going to be as, as uh, efficient. You know, your productivity is going to suffer. <clears throat> and I have fairly cold feet. And I've worn just about everything that's out there. I've worn the, the military Mickey Mouse boots. Um, but I'm wearing some boots that Clam Outdoors came out with this year. They're Sub-Zero boots. So I just wore those last Sunday when we were out. Now, granted, it was only 32 degrees. But my feet were actually warm. I mean, I almost wished I could take a pair of socks off. They were that warm. And you've got to keep in mind, even when it's 32 degrees out, typically my feet get cold, especially when we've been out there all day. And, you know, as the sun starts to set, it cools off pretty good, and that's when I usually really notice it. And on this trip Sunday, my feet were awesome. I mean, I yeah. didn't want to take the boots off when I got home, except when I got in the house, they were just too warm. So I, I think I finally found a boot that's going to work great for me, and, boy uh, well, I encourage you to, to, to give them a try, because, uh, like I said, if you're not comfortable, you're not going to be able to fish effectively right. out there. Right. So comfort's important, for sure. That's definitely something you want to, and even, even if you're talking about gloves or outerwear, um, you know, something for your head keeps keep the heat in. You want to make sure you're comfortable out there. Right, right. Because,
0: I mean, we, we could all probably go to the store and buy one of those big fishing tents and a space heater and all that stuff. Although it's not necessary, it's probably, it's probably not something that you would want to buy as a beginner.
1: Yeah, and... You know, it's great that the stores have them set up this time of year because you want to go in and sit in them, flip them over, see how they fit, see what your comfort level is in them, uh, see if you like the layout. You know, some of them have bench seats, some of them have uh, basically a boat seat in them, some of them have seats that swivel and slide, um, some of them have different rod storage options, different accessories as far as lighting. Um, I mean, you name it. So get out there and, and test them, and if you've got friends that ice fish. Go out with them and see what they're using and, and try their gear and, you know, make a really informed decision before you do, because some of those are a pretty good investment. So yeah. make sure you really get what you actually want before you spend the money. All right. All right. What about rod and line? <clears throat> so there's a, there's kind of two, two schools of thought on this. The trend here lately has been toward longer and longer rods, which, you know, you think ice fishing, you know, you want a short rod as possible. Um, but you've got guys now that are fishing 36 and 42 inch rods. Um, one thing to keep in mind is do I fish inside a shelter or do I fish outside? If I fish inside, obviously I'm going to want a shorter rod because every time I set the hook, I'm going to be in the, into the ceiling of the fish trap and I'm going to be breaking rods. So kind of keep that in mind. You know, how do you, how do you fish the most? Um, a lot of the guys that fish the bigger predator fish, they want something a little longer. So that gives a little more leverage to fight a more powerful fish. Um, and I think, so I prefer to fish to shorter rods. And I think a lot of that comes from, um, you know, I kind of cut my ice fishing teeth by sight fishing up on Okaboji. So I like the shorter rod. I like the fact that I can kind of keep it up in my chest, um, keep the line out of the wind a little bit. I just think it's a little more intimate. It puts me in a little better contact with the fish. So that's something you're going to want to try, maybe both schools of thought and see which one um, you prescribe to. Um, The noodle rods are kind of really popular the last several years. Um, So a noodle rod is a a rod. It's got a fairly uh, good backbone. There's still good curve to it to fight a fish. But the last uh, four or five um, inches is super limber. And originally, these kind of developed, they were the dead stick rods. So these were the rods the guys were using as their dead stick for walleye fishing. They wanted that limber tip so they could see that minnow dancing around. And then they could see the walleye strike. Well, pan fishermen found out that this tip also is a really good strike indicator for panfish. So a lot of guys now are using these noodle rods as their jigging rod when they're pan fishing, and they're using that tip as a strike indicator. Um, so that's something to look for. Um, spring bobbers are really, really popular right now. It's uh, it's, it's virtually another addition, uh, another version of these uh, these uh, soft tip rods. And the spring is what tells you when the fish bites. Um, both rods work really well for fishing crappies because crappies will do what they call the up bite, where instead of pulling the jig down, and which pulls the rod tip down or pulls the, the spring indicator down, they'll actually come up and lift the bait. So if you're fishing with a regular bobber, a lot of times you won't see that because the bobber just continues to float on the surface of the water. But if you're using a spring bobber or a soft tip rod, what you'll see is you'll see that spring actually come up. Cause the way the jig, you know, preloads that spring, but when that crappie has an upbite, that spring will actually come up or the tip of that soft tip rod will actually come up. And so you'll see that and that's a, you know, set the hook cause you know, you've got a crappie doing your bite there. So that's one way that those kind of rods will really help you over fishing with a, with a bobber, you know, uh, type of setup. Um, there's a lot of really expensive graphite rods out there now. Concrete or uh, uh, custom rods are all the rage. But I've seen a lot of guys get a really high-end graphite rod and put a spring bobber on the end. Well, the reason we use graphite is so that it transmits every twitch through the rod blank, and we can feel those bites. We can feel those light bites. So if you're using a visual system like a spring bobber or a soft tip rod, you don't need to feel it because you're already seeing it. Right. So if you want to be a spring bobber fisherman, don't put all that extra money into a, a high-end graphite rod a nice fiberglass rod blank will do just great with the spring barber on it. Cause you're still going to see those bites. You won't feel them, but it doesn't matter because you'll be able to visually see it. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, what about a reel or like
0: the line? What are, what do you typically run for test on your, on your line? So
1: most of my rods have three pound on them and okay. I use that, um, for crappies, for bluegills and even, um, for walleye, although I don't fish them a lot. I mean, that's probably part of the reason I still use 3-pound for them is because that's what I've got in my you know, my rod bag. Um, fluorocarbon has gotten a really big following. Um, fluorocarbon sinks pretty quickly, and it's virtually invisible underneath the water. So a lot of guys like that. It does tend to have a bit more memory and hold coils a little more, especially in colder weather. So that's definitely one thing that monofilament's a little better for because it's a little more limp. So... Um, Monofilament still has a big following, too, in ice fishing, so there's kind of a a back-and-forth going on between those two types of line. Um, I like the fluorocarbon when I'm a little deeper because it's a little less stretch. So when I set the hook, if I'm in 30 feet of water, I don't have as much stretch as I would with the same amount of monofilament. Um, By that same token, the monofilament's got a little more cushion, so if I'm fishing shallow and I need to pull a fish and get him up to the top quickly, I like that little extra cushion when I set the hook so I know I'm not going to break him off and then I can let the rod do the work and bring him to the top gotcha
0: okay so and then I mean you can can be as it sounds to me like this is similar to all fishing and you can be (laughs) as basic as you want or you can go out there and spend as much money and get the highest end you know gadgets and the top notch type stuff if you really wanted to yeah,
1: absolutely and, and it's it, it's it that permeates every facet of ice fishing from the rods i mean you can get a, an inexpensive uh fiberglass rod at walmart for 10 or 12 bucks or you can spend a hundred dollars on a custom-made graphite rod um you can spend a couple hundred bucks on an entry-level uh flasher you know just a plain jane no zoom no extra features or you can spend six hundred dollars on one that's got all the bells and whistles um, same goes for the clothing. Same goes for the tackle. You know, you can buy cheap lead jigs for pennies, or you can spend uh, three dollars for two tungsten jigs in a pack. So it's just kind of kind of pick your battles, see what's most important to you, which things give you the most bang for your buck in your ice fishing system, and then put you know the majority of your funds towards that. Sounds good. Well.
0: I appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast, man, and talk about ice fishing. I I feel that this is a a really good high-level introduction into ice fishing, and I know just like any outdoor hunting or fishing activity, uh, we could have got way more complicated, but I think this is a really good start for people who um, maybe are curious about ice fishing because Believe it or not, ice fishing is the fastest-growing form of fishing that there is right now. And
1: absolutely, yeah.
0: And uh, I think this is a a really good place to start. So, Rod, I appreciate your time hopping on.
1: not a problem. It's my pleasure. I enjoy talking about it, and uh, the more people we get into the sport, the better it's going to be.
0: Huge shout out to Rod for coming on the podcast and chatting ice fishing with us today. If you haven't already. Go to the Iowa Sportsman website and take a look at all the cool articles that are there and subscribe to the magazine. So go out, enjoy Iowa, be outside, get some fresh air, and we'll see you next week.